Welcome in to Other People's Shoes. As you know, I am your host, Neil Matthews. Thank you so much for joining me today. Super excited that you've chosen to stop by today. If you haven't done so already, please. Why have you not, by the way? I did say please, though. So when we say please, things should happen, right? That's the way I was raised. But please jump right over to OPSpodcast.com right now. Feel free to leave a review there. Feel free to leave us a voicemail. What are you loving? What are you hating? Yes, even the haters are welcome. They truly are. And if you're really ambitious, which I think today's guest is going to really inspire you to be maybe more ambitious, jump right over to our social medias, OPS Podcast Show, under Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, under the handle at OPS Podcast Show. So with all that aside, you know, I thought it was only fitting that we're in kind of the Georgia area today. I don't know about anybody else, but I woke up dreaming and thinking about peach tea and maybe sweet tea. And, you know, it is kind of poetic and and fitting in some respects because my niece is down in Athens, Georgia right now, not Greece, but Athens, Georgia. And I think we're going to have to have a bulldog type of mentality to endure what we're going to have to endure in this world today, but be ready because here we go. Let me introduce you to our guest today, Linda Gunter. Now, Linda is responsible and really kind of the visionary for Love Him, Love Them. What is that all about? Well, we're going to find out about that momentarily. Again, hope you have that Georgia Bulldog mentality because here we go. Linda, how are you today? Go dogs. How about we start like that, right? I am amazing. And yes, coming from the great state of Georgia, right, where everything starts with a P. Peaches, peanuts, poultry. We are the smiling part of the South. Polite, maybe, even. Oh, and polite, yeah. Uh, except for if you're on I-85 headed to Atlanta. But besides that, yeah. <laughs> now, I have been through Atlanta. Okay. I've been to the airport. All right. Now, now help me with this. Have I technically been in Georgia if I've been in the airport? I don't or does really that think not we count? count that, but, you know, we'll let you call it what you want to call it because we're so sweet here in Georgia, just like our tea. Well, I have a friend that lives in the Seattle area, and I've told her I've been through SeaTac, which is their kind of bigger airport up in Seattle. Right. And I said, yeah, I've been to Seattle. And she goes, where where have you been? And I said, I went to SeaTac. And she said, Neil, that's... Yeah, that doesn't count. That's not Seattle. That, that, that doesn't count. You didn't go to, like, Starbucks. You didn't right, go to like, Pikes Peak. Right. And all that stuff. And I was like, that doesn't count. Yeah. The, the, our main ministry is in the country of Haiti. And so a lot of people say, oh yeah, I've been to Haiti. You know, <laughs> I was on a cruise ship and ended up on the island and, uh, or I'm Haitian and, and our kids from Haiti are like, look, if we can't drop you off in the middle of Haiti and you can't find your way back and speak the language, you ain't Haitian and you ain't been to Haiti. So we'll put it like that. You've never been a Port-au-Prince that that's in Haiti. Did I get that right? Oh yeah. Port-au-Prince is in Haiti. You can't go there right now. It's a war zone. Yeah. Port-au-Prince is in Haiti. I thought I had that geographical right. Good job. uh, Gold star next to my name today. So Linda, help me with this because for me, when we start talking and your team reached out to us, I'm always excited to be in other people's shoes. That's the whole point of the premise and the show and all that. But before we get to your story and, and, and what you're about and your ministry, as you kind of already alluded to. We have to have this question answered. And listen, Linda, okay. I know you're kind of famous in some circles, maybe infamous in others, but but famous in others, perhaps. I don't know. But I bet you nobody's asked you this question, and that's this. Linda, what style of shoe do you like to wear? Uh, right now, I have on flip-flops. My most favorite are high heels, but after COVID, nobody cares if you have on high heels. So usually, you can't see me, but usually, I always show my shoes. So it's very interesting that you would ask that. So it would be a combination between flip-flops and high heels. All right. Now, is there a certain style or brand that is- The higher, the better. The higher higher the better. Uh, and the cheaper. I usually, we have a shoe ministry. And so I am certainly known to go through, most of my shoes come out of the donation box. 
So there's a confession, right? Or maybe a poor child walking around in Haiti that doesn't have a four-inch high heel shoe because I stole it out of the donation box. Now, is the high heels to make you taller, make the calves look better? Help me with that. Maybe one last thing. Oh, no. I have amazing calves, and I already look amazing, so I don't really need those <laughs> shoes. Just lots of fun. <laughs> So, Linda, take me back in time, if you can, for for a moment. Step into that proverbial DeLorean, you know, back to the future DeLorean. If we were to go back in time to say, mm, I don't know, early 2000s, where do we find you and what are you doing? So in the early 2000s, I'm living in Atlanta, the big city of, I was known as the church lady in Atlanta, <laughs> which is hilarious because I'm probably the wildest chick I know, which is amazing that we're releasing at 3 a.m. because I would have still been up in 2000 at 3 a.m. I was a real estate investor working in the fifth worst crime ridden neighborhood in America, which is called Vine City. It's where all the drug dealers and prostitutes hang out in downtown Atlanta, which if you've been at the airport, you're right around the corner from it, oddly enough. And I was flipping houses. My husband and I were actually Chip and Joanna Gaines before Chip and Joanna Gaines were famous. That's what we used to do. We used to remodel and rehab houses. We took one of our houses. This is in our very first book called Peanut Butter Crackers and Flip Flops. It tells that whole story. But one of our houses we turned into a homeless shelter and we had the only homeless shelter in the city of Atlanta that took in what other people would not take in. So if you were pregnant and about to have a baby, we still took you. If you happened to have both gender children, we would still take you. We had probably the most posh a homeless shelter. We did the most amazing things. Our our outings for our homeless shelter were coming up to Lake Hartwell and going jet skiing. We did. I mean, there was a, a standing line to get in our shelter because we ran it ourselves. So we were able to do whatever we wanted to do, which included the fact that we were able to present the gospel. We were also able to take women in who had nothing and they went through our shelter and we realized that what they needed were Jesus and jobs and homes. And so because we were in the real estate business, we were actually able to take people through, give them Jesus, give them jobs. And then we could either own or finance them a home or move them into one of our actual properties that we had there in Atlanta. And I didn't have any kids, no kids in 2000. Let's just remember that. We call that BC before children. First off, I didn't know any of that, but I think it lets me and everyone else in that you've really had this heart, this desire to help not only yourself, but, but your community. Is that is that a right or a wrong statement? No, I'd have to argue with you about that. And if you read the book and you hear the whole, I mean, there's a whole, there's a movie actually being produced about that, that whole scenario. It was not my idea to have the homeless shelter. There was a, I mean, <laughs> I was not a nice person. I very, was very, very selfish. And actually, the whole premise of how that homeless shelter started was a, a homeless woman was standing on the porch of one of the houses we were renovating and asking if she could stay there. And I'll leave that there because it's uh, you can read about that in our book, Peanut Butter Crackers and Flip Flops. No, it wasn't anything nice on my end whatsoever. Very interesting how that whole thing started. Well, again, you, you talk about not being nice. You talk about maybe being, <laughs> if it's not, maybe too presumptuous to say you were caring more about Linda than others. Oh, yes, absolutely. Well, our church right now, speaking of church life and giving people Jesus, is walking through the story of Joseph. Now, many know that story, okay. whether they're in the church or out of the church. I mean, Joseph is a famous story. We know about his upbringing, being sold into slavery, getting into Potiphar's house. We know the alleged rape allegation gets him into prison. He's like, hey, don't forget me, Butler, Baker, don't forget me. And they forget him. And then he gets before Pharaoh, and then he flips Egypt on kind of on its head and takes over Egypt, all except for the Pharaoh, saves his family, saves the land 
and saves everybody and this this amazing happy ever after story and then he has this redemption moment with his old family and then they all come to live in Egypt and that's how we have the Israelites leave the exodus you know in Pharaoh that's kind of like the the five second version of that story there's there's obviously more in depth in in the Genesis of uh, I think like 39 I think is roughly about where it starts but I say all that to kind of maybe lead to this question in that story with Joseph he's humbled so many times he's having to look inward and say whoa I need to sharpen off this edge or this edge needs to come off of me it needs to be sanded off of me so then if I were going to ask you if there's a moment in your life where you kind of maybe had that stoplight moment where you had to stop and really evaluate where you were is there a moment and is there a thing that maybe kept you if this didn't happen you would have completely unraveled in your life oh absolutely fast forward and to cram a whole lot into a very short period of time in 2004 my very best friend was murdered she her husband killed her and in five seconds later killed her mother and she happened to have five children she was Haitian obviously her children were Haitian and so in five five minutes five children lost their mom their dad and their grandmother they fell through all of the government cracks they ended up living in New York as you know you've already uh, referenced we live in Georgia my friend lives here in Georgia and basically they were there for about two or three years I stayed in touch with them but the bottom line is this one day I received a phone call and it was from my friend's dad who had lost his wife and daughter in this double murder at the hand of his son-in-law. And he basically told me that I was his last phone call and that if I didn't take these children, that he was going to have to split them up and put them in foster care. And my immediate response to him, which this was not the moment, (laughs) my immediate response to him was, I don't know, you wasted your last phone call because I don't have any kids. I don't like kids. And I don't know what in the world you think I'm going to do with your five Haitian kids. What's that about? Again, that's in another book, the whole story of that. But I will fast forward to say this very, very long story short on the 17th day of the seventh month. And you were talking earlier about the Bible and church. I would challenge everyone to look and see at all of the unbelievable, miraculous things that happened on the 17th day of the seventh month. The family living in my home here in Gumlog, Georgia, went to the size of seven with children ages seven to 17. Now, that still wasn't the moment. I still had no idea. And I want you to understand, Neil, I did not even have a vehicle big enough to house these children. I couldn't transport them. I had to borrow a minivan. Now, this is a chick who was a real estate investor (laughs) running the streets in a Jaguar, okay? (laughs) Had to borrow a minivan. That's every girl's dream, right? It wasn't until I decided to take these kids back to the country where they came from and my complete intentions were for them to be more grateful to me and for them to be thankful to me for for saving their happy butts from having to be deported to this country. And it was on Christmas 2011, whenever we went to Haiti. And the moment that changed my life was whenever I walked into a makeshift orphanage full of children who had lost their families in the 2010 earthquake. And that was Christmas Day, 2011. It was also the first day that I saw actual miracles. My life has been full of miracles since then. But what really wrecked my world was watching 30 children who had nothing, no material things to be grateful for. Their circumstances stunk. Where they lived stunk. There was no running water, no electricity. And yet these children sang for me on Christmas Day, 2011. And I lost my mind. I literally felt like Jesus Christ himself tapped me on the shoulder and said, Linda, what you're watching is the joy of the Lord. No matter what your what your circumstances are, no matter what you have or don't have, this, Linda, is the joy of the Lord. And girlfriend, you ain't got it. 
<laughs> your joy comes from when your husband does what you want him to. When I mean, I just came downstairs. He didn't do what I wanted him to now either. So that hasn't changed. You know, when these new kids you got keep their room clean, you know, your joy is just jacked up. And I left that orphanage that day. And I can, I can specifically mark that moment in time when I walked out and told the guy that brought us there. I said, you know, somebody ought to bring those kids to the United States. I said, you're not going to believe this, but everybody I know in the United States has running water. They have electricity. Most people I know have everything they need and the majority of them have everything they want, but they ain't happy. <laughs> They're just, there's no joy. And, you know, his response back to me was this thick Haitian accent. Oh, mommy Linda, every American I bring here, they say the same thing. Nobody ever does anything about it. But that's the moment that changed my life forever. I just think that's so impactful to think about because, I mean, let's face it, we, we kind of talked at the onset of, you know, my wife and I are on our way to Mexico. I've been on Mexican mission trips through Christian organizations, Christian Missionary Alliance being the biggest one. It's the denomination I was a part of. And I've been to Ensenada. I've received mean mugging from men that we were ministering to the women and the children playing soccer with them. And, and I remember we were at a makeshift orphanage as well in El Dorado, Mexico, which doesn't appear on a lot of maps because they literally take storage shed units like we think of here in the States and they've made homes out of those storage units. Just kind of have visually helped somebody maybe with that. And one guy in particular, the, the story goes, I'm wearing a, a bright, light blue North Carolina hat, which is not uncommon for me, especially, you know, being from Oregon, it's really hard because I'm a Carolina fan. And this guy's just staring me down. And I finally went over to our missionary and said, what is the deal? What, what Like this guy just not giving me like a smile or anything or any type of encouragement. We're doing all this amazing stuff for, for everybody. He goes, he wants your hat. And I said, well, he can have it. And the guy's like, you're just going to give me your hat? And I go, yeah, I have like 50 of them at home. What's one hat to me? And I guess I share that story with you because for me, I went away thinking like, oh, I've made an impact. Oh, I've made a difference. I've given a hat. Look at me how American I am. I've given away something that's so precious to me. No, it's not. Not a sacrifice in any way. So I say all that to ask this question. What is it about Haiti that drew you in? I mean, it's great to hear the kids in, in that orphanage story and, and to hear them singing. I mean, obviously that, that mustn't have been an emotional moment for you, but it builds from that, doesn't it? Or does it stop there and, and you're like, oh, I came home, I helped, it was amazing, and now what? Right, so I came home and I after taking in five children overnight, I ran my home like a business. So we had family meetings uh, that were run by Robert's Rules of Order. I still have all of the minute books, which those are priceless. And so at our January family meeting after that Christmas trip, I asked my kids, I said, you know, so what was that? Was that a one-time thing or what are we doing? My youngest daughter at that time, I have 12 children. My youngest daughter at that time said, you know, Mommy Linda, we don't have a choice. Those children are counting on us. And that was the moment the decision was made. She said, you know, if we don't help them, who's going to help them? And so my five children at that time did whatever they had to do. Some of them sold cake pops. Some of them made jewelry. We took over the concession stand at our local state park. And we never spent another traditional Christmas in the United States. It kind of was sickening to sit around and open gifts the way we had done for hours before when we had experienced this other Christmas in Haiti. And even to this day, we provide Christmas joy bags. We're also the responsible for delivering over 35,000 Samaritan's Purse shoeboxes throughout the country. So did it stop there? No, that's where it only began. Literally, we've gone back every Christmas. In 2016, what I said should happen happened actually happened 
happened. Now, I will tell you this. It was one of the most difficult things I've ever done in my life. I reached out to every major organization, and trust me, there are plenty who have a footprint in the country of Haiti. A footprint, I'll just leave it at that. And I shared my vision, and I said, you know, these children impacted my life. I think if they came to America, they would impact others. And basically, I was called every name in the book, including an idiot, and that if I thought that the Haitian government was going to work with the United States government for me to bring an entire orphanage from the country of Haiti to America, the main line I got was, I don't know whose money you're spending, which at that time it was mine and my husband's, but that ain't going to happen. And you can see, because we're on camera behind me, all of the posters of the children, because in 2016, those same 30 children that I met that first Christmas got on an airplane, came to America. We sang up and down the East Coast. And my prayer was that exactly what happened to me as I was sitting on that urine-stained bed in that makeshift orphanage in Haiti would happen to every single person that heard them sing. And that is exactly what happened. So for three years, we traveled literally from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, all the way up to the White House. We sang for audiences of one. We sang for audiences of 85,000 at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, which ironically is right around the corner from where our homeless shelter was in Atlanta. And lives were changed. Worlds were rocked. And I learned so much about the power of the Holy Spirit through that. I learned and watched miracles happen. I learned how to cast out demons. I learned that some of the children I was dealing with were literally raised up to be take over voodoo ministries. I learned what that was. I learned, and that's that's what's in our new book called Choir of Angels. It talks about all of the miracles that happened that year. We watched alcoholics literally come out. We watched blind eyes open. I mean, we saw we literally lived out the book of Acts. Unbelievable. And as I sit here today, we currently have six locations in the country of Haiti. We're responsible for thousands of children every day, which right now is quite a challenge, I'll tell you. We opened a hospital in the middle of a global pandemic, which was only one of two hospitals that remained open since the president was assassinated in the country of Haiti last July 7th. And we are a thriving ministry that even though we are dealing with challenges of kidnapping and civil unrest and gangs, and I'm literally negotiating with gangs leaders to keep our children alive. That's how the end result of that trip that we took in 2011, that's where we are here 12 years later. It's very inspiring. (laughs) I mean it. And and I know that might sound a little flippantly and, and it's not meant to be, but it is very inspiring. But Linda, we don't know each other super well. I mean, we've we've had some conversations and I wouldn't consider us maybe friends yet. We're on our way to be maybe, perhaps. I don't know. I'll be your friend if you be my friend. <laughs> that was one Thank of our you. songs. I'll pray for you if you pray for me. <laughs> the old elementary school days. I'll choose you my snack yeah. bag for your carrots, maybe. I don't know. All I don't right. want carrots. And again, I grew up in a Christian and Missionary Alliance church. We heard all the time about missionaries in other countries. And they would every now and then come through. They'd do their little missionary tour and, hey, we need more money or, hey, we need this or, hey, we need that or whatever. So I know people are involved in missionary stuff. But I've also heard it said that if you can't be a minister here in the States, if you can't share Jesus here, you have no business sharing it over there. Amen. I agree. Yeah. What would you say to that? Speak to that if you wouldn't mind. Well, I agree 100%. I mean, and we do that. Um, right now, as soon as I get off the podcast with you will be finalizing our Thanksgiving meals. So, I mean, we feed, last year we fed 4,000 homeless, hopeless, and homebound people right here in Northeast Georgia. Everything that we do comes from our dining room table. And I hate the word missionary. I don't know where that word came from. I do not consider myself a missionary. I consider myself a Christian. We are, I don't know if this might be a newsflash to you or your audience, but Jesus is not here anymore. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And so, you know, people like to put it on a bumper sticker or on the refrigerator that we're the hands and feet 
feet of Jesus, but that's really the truth. And so we are the hands and feet of Jesus. We are the answer to people's prayers. It is our job to lay our hands on the sick for them to be healed. And that is not something that we do on Tuesday night visitation. That should be something that we do when I go to Walmart today. If there's somebody in front of me in a wheelchair, guess what? They need healing. (laughs) They don't have to tell me. You know, the Bible is also full of, there's a verse in James that says, for those of you who are sick, call on the leaders of the church. They'll come, they'll anoint you with oil, you'll be healed, and you get a bonus, your sins are forgiven. So in my opinion, every Christian should have oil in their pocketbook. If you don't have a pocketbook, find somewhere else to put it. So no, I am, I 100% believe this is not a game that we just do on mission trips. I can't stand that. And you know, something else I learned, Neil, is that because we do mission trips, when, when you can go to Haiti and not get killed or beheaded, we were constantly doing mission trips one to two a month. Teachers teaching teachers how to teach trips for our schools, pastor training trips. So do I think that we need to do ministry here? I think you need to do ministry in your home, with your wife, with your kids, person that when you stop to get gas, you know, who, whoever your eyes lock with in the day, that's who God has placed right in your path. And he's placed you there because the Bible says the eyes of the Lord are roaming the earth, searching for a heart that's turned toward him so he can use them because he's got a lot of folks praying and there's not a whole lot of people that are willing to be an answer to prayer. I don't care where you are. If it's Walmart, the gas station, your office, your home, Haiti, it doesn't matter where you are. You've got to be the hands and feet of Jesus. That's our job. And yes, we do that everywhere. Well, I say that because I do hear so many say, well, that's not me. Linda, that's great. Applause. Thank you. Thank you for the work you're doing for the kingdom. Now I'm being a little flippant. Mm-hmm. Now I'm being a little sarcastic because I have heard people say that through the years. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, that's for Linda. That's great. Linda's family. Oh, that's so wonderful. Thank you. Mm-hmm. They'd rather write a check than get their hands dirty. And I don't mind them take, sending me a check. <laughs> that'll be fine with me. I mean, they're, I, they're the ones that miss the blessing. We need checks. You know, I'm a volunteer. That's the other thing. I don't get paid. There's not one person in the United States that gets anything from our ministry. Every penny that we have goes into the ministry. So what would I say to people that just want to write a check? Fine. My mom's 84 years old. She's not going to Haiti. I mean, she might stir some green beans at Christmas. She does have the ability to write a check. And it does take all kinds. But while you're writing the check, you can also send a note of encouragement to somebody. I mean, there's a thousand different ways that you can be the hand and feet of Jesus. You know, there's sometimes when I'm at the lowest point and I get a note in the mail from somebody that is encouraging, that's amazing. So, I mean, I'm not saying that you have to go and lay your hands on the sick or you have to be the one that casts out the demons, but there is a role for you to play. We all have our own gifts and we can all do the same thing. That's why we marry the opposite person. If we're exactly the same, we don't need the other one. So there is a place for each of us to fit in. It tells us in Jeremiah, God knew exactly what he had planned for you while you were in your mother's womb. If you want to get on that topic, there is a purpose and a plan for our life. There's a gender that we were made into. There is a husband or a spouse for us. I mean, it's all planned out. And and we do that with every other thing in our life. Every single thing we want to do, whether it's figure out how to get a seatbelt untangled from our SUV, we go watch a YouTube video to find the creator of whoever made whatever our problem is to figure out what it is. And it's the same thing with the word of God. God created 
created us. Why would we go anywhere else to figure out the problem? Why would we go anywhere else to figure out what the purpose for our life is? Why would we go anywhere else to figure out what we're here for? God is the one who made us, created us, and and gonna decide where we end up. So what a better person to have a relationship with to figure out what the answer to the problems in our life are, period. So Linda, let's talk about the organization for a minute because by the way, when it came through our channels and, and through our corresponding, I had to know because I'm just curiosity cat running amok here, but it says love him, love them. Correct. Where does that come from? I mean, I have ideas. Help me. This is hilarious. So whenever we had our homeless shelter in Georgia, when we started off, my father had recently passed away. So we named the the homeless shelter after him. It was called George's Place. His name was George. So then after we we moved out of the Atlanta area, we're up on the top part of Georgia now, Lake Hartwell in a big, big city of Livonia, Georgia. I think there's me and five other people here. And so when we moved up here and uh, dissipated the homeless shelter and we started, then we got the kids and we started working in. In Haiti, we were going to continue to call it George's Place, and a strip club opened up with the same name. <laughs> so we were like, that's probably not going to work real good if somebody Googles us and they think we're a strip club. So we got to come up with another name. And so my husband said, and uh, we actually have a Bible study too, but my husband said, love him, love them. And the reason is because that's the Bible in one sentence. If you don't know anything else, that's all you got to do. If you love God, then you can love them. God continuously places thems in our lives that we can't love. They irritate the snot out of us. And the only way that we can love them is through loving him. We have an entire Bible study on that, how to love him and love them. You know, if the entire world just did that one sentence, let's not go with the whole world. Let's go with people who profess to be Christians, people that say they love Jesus. If we really did love him, because the Bible tells us over and over, if you truly love me, follow my commandments. If you're really my disciples, do what I tell you to do. I I mean, I want to tell that to my kids. Oh, I love you, Mommy Linda. Really? Well, go back upstairs and clean your room because I asked you that two hours ago, right? If you really love me, you do what I ask you to do. So love him, love them. My husband named the ministry after we had to get out of that strip club place, which we weren't in, but it looked like we were. And that's what he said. That's one sentence that if everyone will just do that, we'll be in a great place. That was very profound. I had a feeling that's what it was, but I I just wanted to solidify that. So that's fun stuff. So Linda, let me ask you this question too. We have a guy that was kind of famous out here in Oregon, went on to the Olympics, came from a really small community, fishing community, and he, you know, went on to to somewhat fame, was Nike's first spokesperson. Maybe you know who this is. It's a guy named Steve Prefontaine. And he has this amazing quote. He says, to give anything less than your best is to sacrifice the gift. When you hear that, what do you think of? I immediately think of the Bible that says, whatever you do, do it as if you're doing it into the Lord, which I which I include that with our cleaning our rooms, you know, right? Don't do it for me, do it for the Lord. And that's, I mean, that's the first thing that, that comes to my mind is that verse that was on our family rules when we first got our first set of five kids. You know, whatever you're doing, you need to do it as if you're doing it unto the Lord, whether that is cleaning the floors in the orphanage, whether that's packing every year we pack. 50,000 meals of rice and beans to go to Haiti, you know, whether that's putting the vitamins in there, whether that's feeding the dog, whether that's encouraging someone throughout your day, whatever we do, we have to do it as if we're doing it unto the Lord, because ultimately that is what we're doing. The person you mentioned said, you're sacrificing the gift. I mean, God himself allowed his son to die on a cross, a criminal's death, a criminal's death on a cross to pay for my sins. I mean, what a jerk I am to then not be grateful and thankful and praiseworthy and do the best that I can at whatever it is I'm doing, whatever it is. And it's just, that's biblical. All right. So step back in time with me one more time. 
We're going to go back sure. a little further. We're going to go back to middle school Linda. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Would middle school Linda recognize adult Linda now? Oh, no, no, no. And I will tell you this. There's so, so funny. I was the bus driver. Couldn't get anybody to drive the bus. And remember, I was the speaker and I was the, the director of the choir. Hilarious. And I want you to remember this. I had never had a choir before. This whole idea of bringing these kids here, I had no clue what I was doing. And literally, you know, when we arrived in America at the Atlanta airport, by the way, we had $120 in our bank account and we had eight buses break down on the way to pick us up. Spiritual warfare that just began. Okay, but now fast forward. So one of the 875 concerts we did, there were two people in the Congress. I think there were three different places we went that there were people who had attended my high school who had no clue it was me on stage. They came up to me afterwards and said, are you Linda Schuler that went to XYZ high school and graduated with me and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, that's me. And the exact words out of their mouth were, oh my goodness, if God can save you, he can save anybody. <laughs> Oh, yeah. The, no, the middle school Linda would not recognize this Linda in any way, shape or form. Neither do actual people who attended middle school and high school with me. So pretty, pretty hilarious. The responses that people who actually went to school with me, whenever they've seen what I'm doing now, it's like, it's just unbelievable to them. <laughs> so God can change anybody. God can work anything. I mean, let's be honest. I think a lot of our middle school self, we'll, we'll take you off the table for a second. We'll make a general statement. Okay. I think a lot of us who are of faith and maybe who aren't even of faith. I think a lot of us nowadays, hopefully, we are different than our middle school self. Hopefully. Hopefully we've learned some lessons along the way. They do tell you that whatever you are in seventh grade is pretty much what you're going to be. Your character, your... I don't believe that. (laughs) Let's yeah, let's think, let's hopefully that that's not true. Let's hopefully pray that that's not true. Absolutely. But help me with that a little further. If we can dig a little deeper. Do you remember middle school, Linda? As weird as that sounds. Okay. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But what's one lesson you would have maybe told her? that you've learned along the way? What's one lesson you would have told her back in those days that really would have maybe helped her life out a little bit? My lesson would be very clear. Believe what the Bible says. I was in church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. My dad was the music director. My mom was the piano player. I had to be there. Girls in action, GAs, discipleship training, BTU. I was in it all, right? I was raised in a a Southern Baptist church. I wish I had believed what the Bible said. I knew it. I memorized it. I I just wish I had, I don't know if I thought it was a fairy tale. I just can't imagine how much further along my relationship with the Lord would be now if I actually believed what the Bible said and realized that Acts is really true. I just really wonder what I thought when I was reading through it or if it was just some sort of a fairy tale. I'm not quite sure, but I can't imagine if I had actually consumed that, believed it, and the faith that I could have had now. I, I'm just the the way my faith has grown in the last five years, because I actually believe what the word says and believe that the power of the Holy Spirit is real. I think sometimes we just memorized it and it became so rote with us. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Or if I thought Ephesians 6 was a, a joke, that there are principalities and powers and that my battle is not against flesh and blood. You know, there were some middle school girls that I was certain were against me, but it, it wasn't them. It was the my enemy plotting against me. I I really wish I had understood that. And that would be my advice today is that when you read it, believe it. 
understand that the Bible is really true. It's not just something to memorize for fun, but it really does have power. Do you think she would have listened to any of those words that you shared with her? (laughs) I don't know. She's so hard headed even now. My husband just had to come downstairs and grab the dog. The dog was barking outside, but that would be a question for him because he's probably like, she doesn't listen now either. You know, I I come home one day and I tell my husband this story about in Haiti, we had a a tap tap driver that came into one of our locations on the back of his tap tap. Tap tap was a motorcycle and he had a lady that was in labor and pulled into one of our locations where we had a church and a school, but he thought there would be medical care there and there wasn't. And we lost both the lady and the baby. And the minute I heard that story, I I told my husband, I said, we're opening a hospital. And he was like, Linda, you don't know anything about a hospital. What what are you, what are you talking about? And I said, we're opening a hospital because we need a hospital in that area. And he, he looks and that was a moment in time that marks him where he's like, you can't tell her anything. So if she's, cause then we opened a hospital, right? (laughs) We have a hospital in the country of Haiti. He's like, now when she says things like that, I just look at her and I say, okay. So, so I think he would say, you can't tell her anything now either. And I want to tell you another little amazing story about that. The day that the hospital opened, which I got to be there, that was August of 2020. When you weren't even supposed to be flying on planes. You couldn't go anywhere, blah, 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 with a mask and COVID. And I was like, I am not missing a dadgum opening of our hospital. I don't even have any friends that can say they opened a hospital, right? Next time I go to the coffee shop, I want to be able to say I was there. So I go and here I am on the very first day that we opened up and we were scaled back because of COVID and, and not being able to travel and we couldn't do the choir tour. I mean, Satan tried to shut us down in any way we can. Who would ever think churches would close and you couldn't take the choir there? And so we scaled back. And on the very first day, a lady waddles in at 3.30. We're supposed to be closing at four. And she waddles in in labor about to give birth. And I looked at Pastor Max O, who's the head of our ministry. And I was like, what are we going to do? He said, we're going to have a baby. That's what we're going to do. And I was like, yeah, but we close at four. Like not today. So literally it was almost as if God said, yes, Linda. And and we had this reward of having a baby born in the hospital, which was exactly why we opened the hospital on the very first day. And I want to tell you this because this was hilarious. They put me in the room with her, got to have the baby, had nothing for the baby, went on social media that night, tried to be prepared. I got everything we needed for one baby. We came back the next day, Neil. And do you know that God sent someone in and we had twins? (laughs) So just when you think you're prepared and you know what's going to happen, you just don't. But what an exciting, amazing life to live if you if you live your life with Christ. Wow. Thank you. You, I appreciate you sharing that story. That's so impactful because to me, again, I think there's so much still Western-minded thinking. This idea that, you know, I need God on Sunday. I need God on Wednesday. Man, I might even need God on Thursday night. But Tuesday, I don't know if I need God. Monday, I, I, I definitely don't need, well, I might I maybe need God for when I have a little bit of the case of the Mondays. And, you know, I definitely don't need God Friday night. No, God can just stay on the shelf. Uh, Saturday, same thing don't really need him. Sunday morning, I might need him again. But you know what I mean? Like, I think so many times in my life, I've had that mindset. I haven't really wanted to put him on display. I want him in my heart. I want him to change my life, but I don't want to put him on display. I don't want to share him. I'm the youngest of four. Sharing to me is is terrible. I mean, I think I would rather have tarantulas or scorpions bite me than to share something because I'm kind of selfish. How does Linda not be selfish? That's exactly what changed my life was the day that I saw those kids sing. You know, 
know, I had walked into that orphanage passing a pile of trash, looking at a goat and a pig and two little boys rifling through the same pile of trash with the same goal, and that was for food. My life was changed by what I saw, what I smell, and what I heard when I was in that country. And I can't get those things out of my mind. And so I think the selfish mentality is, you know, in Haiti, we see voodoo. I've led voodoo priests to the Lord in Haiti. We get to see witchcraft. It's very blatant. In America, Satan works completely different. In America, we're so deceived. We're so blinded. <laughs> we don't We don't have a need for God. When you're in an orphanage in Haiti and you pray, the reason that the, the children's prayers worked so miraculously here in America whenever we, we were on the choir tour was because they know how to pray and get what they pray for. You know why? They don't have any other option. When, when you're in an orphanage in Haiti and you pray and you're asking God to bring you rice and beans, it's because you ain't got nobody else to ask. You can't put a post on Facebook. You can't call your mother-in-law for a loan. There is nobody else. So when you pray, you pray earnestly. Problem in America is we have so many other options for solutions. So we don't realize that God is the ultimate solution. And so he's our last resort. He's not our first resort. And so the reason like you say, oh, I might need him on Tuesday or I might need him on Friday. Satan's got us so deceived here in America. We don't realize he is the ultimate source. It's our loss when we're putting him last. John 10, 10 says he came so that we could have life and have it to the full. And what do we see? The majority of Christians that I talk to are on depression medicine. They're full of anxiety. They're full of fear. They ain't living life to the full. It's exactly what I told Max out the very first time I saw those kids. I know people in America, they have everything they want. Most of them have everything they, they, they have everything they need, but they don't have joy. We're, we're living defeated. God has told us we're overcomers. We think we only need Jesus on a Tuesday or a Thursday or a Sunday. That, that's our loss because we have the ability to be an overcomer every single day of the week, 24 hours a day. That's the free will. <laughs> We've been given free will. And the sad thing is so many of us choose the wrong thing. So Linda, if we can now, now that we've been back in time, if we can go forward into the future, what do you want your lasting legacy to be? Or is that even on your radar? Do you even care about those things? Maybe speak to that. No, but it's very interesting you say that. I have six or seven Haitian children here in the house with me now. And last night, that was one of their questions to me. They were like, Mommy Linda, who are you going to give love him, love them to when you die? <laughs> It's like, well, that's an interesting question. Well, I'm going to echo that. What 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 would your yeah, answer so, be? If we can get in on the family meeting, can I, can I get a first and a second on that? Right. Maybe, I don't know. So they went through this whole scenario of all the people that I should give love him, love them to. And I said, you know, a lot of times when somebody has a ministry, it's one man, one vision. What my vision is for what love him, love them needs to happen and what somebody else's might be, I have no idea. Am I thinking of my legacy? Absolutely not. Actually, I am currently the age that my father was when he passed passed away. And so, you know, I realized that any minute, it could be my last minute. And so my legacy is right now, or I don't even want to use that word. Again, I don't like legacy. I don't like missionary. But my goal in life is that everywhere I go, a verse in the Bible that says, when you meet others, do you turn them away from sin? I have a show right now called Miracles with Mommy Linda. And I love the fact that every week I have an amazing miracle to share because God allows me to be an instrument for his will to be done. And so my goal right now is to live every single day and, and to have that full and that abundant life to help as many people as I can and to speak truth. You know, Neil, there are very, very few people that are speaking truth. We have new age. We have progressive Christianity. There are very few people that are actually teaching and preaching what the word of God says. What is a man? What is a woman? What is marriage? I mean, just everything right now. Where is the value of life? And so my goal and this at this particular moment in my life is to help as many of the children as I can that we have in the country of Haiti. I would really love to 
get on a plane and go there today. I've got lots of kids that are waiting to get married so I can come to their wedding. My other goal is that the gang activity in Haiti, that, that there will be Damascus Road experiences with that, and that I can simply just share the true love of Jesus Christ with every single person that I come into contact with. Well, you, you probably know this guy. Maybe you've heard of him. One more quote, and then I want to end with something fun. Yes. Stephen Curtis Chapman, you ever heard that name come across your radar there? So a couple of years ago, more than a couple now, because I always think it's only been like five years, but really maybe it's been 10, maybe it's been 20. But in my mind, it's only been a few years, but really it's been longer. But anyway, he wrote this song, The Next Five Minutes, by the way, might be something to look into. He says, I'm going to live the next five minutes like it's my last five minutes, because all I know is the next five minutes, maybe all I have. And after the next five minutes, I'm going to turn the last five minutes into all I have. When I hear you say all those things, to me, that's what it reminded me of, is if you had only five minutes, if you had only five minutes, which is not a long time, what would you do with it in Haiti? If, if somehow, some way we could, we could say, Linda, you now have the power of Haiti from a government level, from a humanitarian level. What do you, what is your wish? What is your dream? What is your, you're in control of it all. I don't want to say magic because that almost insinuates like new age and, and all of that. So we'll eliminate that, but let your imagination run amok. What would you do with Haiti? You were allowed to be in control of it. Right. Well, it's very interesting that you asked me that question because I've already, I've already answered this on numerous occasions and it's not a very godly response right now what i i had five minutes what i would do right now is i would i would take a hundred men very powerful military men with guns bigger than what the gangs have and i would show up and i think it might take me more like three hours but i would go through the streets and i would take care of getting the gangs off of the streets because i've told that to numerous people it would literally take me three hours with a hundred men with guns bigger than what the gangs have to get this situation cleared up and that may or may not be a very godly response but that's exactly what i would do because the evil that is there could be stopped in about three hours and for whatever reason why the United States government is not participating. I, I can't figure it out. We've tried to figure it out. In addition to them not supplying the manpower and the gunpower we need, also 97% of the immigrants that are coming across the border in Mexico, 97% of the Haitians are being deported when others aren't. So there is something bigger going on in this government. I would love to figure out what that is and why we can't get the help that we need, but that's, that is a challenge that I think could be solved, maybe not in five minutes, but in in about three hours. I mean, I've never been to Haiti. I got to be honest, it's not on my, you know, top 10 <laughs> list of places to go visit. I don't know if right. it'd make the top 100 to be candid. Right. But as you speak of Haiti, on numerous occasions, people can probably hear you get a little emotional. You're more than emotional. You shed tears even. Why? It's very, very disturbing. I mean, Haiti is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. It is It is very difficult for me to go out to lunch with some of my friends here in America, hear the, the complaining and the frustration and the irritation when they get the wrong salad dressing <laughs> right on their meal. And yet I know because I am dealing with the struggles that we have in that country of, I mean, right now I'm trying to smuggle 17 children out of a location right next to the U.S. Embassy because there are gunshots and gang members outside of, of our particular orphanage there trying to kill the children. I just had three people kidnapped this past week, one from our bead ministry. We have a Beauty for Ashes jewelry line where we make jewelry out of trash. I think the struggle and the emotion that you hear is it, it is a tough 
tough life. And it's just right underneath us, right? If you go to Florida and swim, you get to the Caribbean. And, and it's not just, I mean, Haiti is the poorest. So I think the, the problem is, is that I'm intimately connected with these children, right? These are people that I live with two weeks out of the month every year until the president was assassinated. I was almost kidnapped the last time I was there, which was in April. That was then after I left two days later, they ended up taking 17 Americans. So I think the emotion is, is, is my love and my concern for the children. They are the safety that we're trying to get people out. It's just, it's just uh, I don't know any other way to say it, except for when you love him, you love them. And because I love them, I would like to make sure that they're safe. If somebody's hearing you right now, maybe they've been under a rock. Maybe they've just locked themselves away or put their head in the sand and they really haven't cared about Haiti. What would you say to them and, and why should they care? And maybe talk about how they can get involved to maybe actually start caring. What would your answer be to that? I would say, first of all, to go to just anything that we have, either our website, everything is love him, love them. So we have a website, we have a YouTube channel that you can actually see the children, meet the children. Our social media pretty much keeps you very much up to date. We'd love for you to help us buy a bag of rice. <laughs> right now, a bag of rice that we bought this time last year, which was $35, is now $200. That's a 50 pound bag of rice. And we need tons and tons and tons of rice. And right now, even if we had the $200 to buy the rice, one bag of rice, it's very, very difficult to find it. And we have to risk our lives to go out into the streets to get the rice. So I would say probably the easiest way for you to fall in love is to look on our website, meet some of our children, sponsor a child, go to the YouTube channel. I, I think if you watched one 10 second snippet of the children and you saw the joy in their faces, even with everything that they're dealing with, I think you would see the love of Christ the same way I did. And they would win your hearts over the same way they won mine. So that would be my suggestion. Read our books, Choir of Angels. Angels. That book is out right now. You can get it anywhere. You can get it on our website and I can autograph it or one of the kids can autograph it. That tells their story. If you're not only under a rock from not knowing what Haiti is, but if you're under a rock in your life and have feelings of depression are not quite sure what your next step is, I would highly recommend that you read our book just to see how God works. I would highly recommend that you go on the YouTube channel and watch a few of the miracles with Mommy Linda just to listen to see how God does perform miracles even today, even now. And I believe that would be highly encouraging for you and help to increase your faith. Thank you, Linda. That was awesome. Appreciate the time that you gave us. So this is just the silliness that we do at the end of the show. It's it's called senseless. And so I have a, a cup here. I couldn't get a Georgia cup, even from my niece. I had to get this North Carolina one. My husband is a North North Carolina fan. He said, and so is God. That's why the sky is Carolina blue, right? Thank you. I want to hug your husband right now. If I was in Georgia, everybody loves him. I would hug him. That is what I say all the time. <laughs> God's a Carolina fan. Just look up. He'll, he'll tell you that. That's funny that he'd say that. I'm going to roll for you. Are you okay with that? You're comfortable with that? Oh, sure. Okay, good. Nobody has yet to say no. I feel like we're casting lots. Kind of something like that. Yeah, so it is. It's a backwards five maybe for you, but there it is. Number five. Here's the question. It's what's something you taste that you always seem to get a reaction to? Something you taste that you always seem to get a reaction to? Reese cups. A good reaction or a bad I reaction? I don't know. That's up to you to interpret. Oh, an amazing reaction. I would, uh, Reese cups are my absolute favorite and they're very addicting and I, I have an amazing reaction to them at all times. So I have to go with Reese cups and that's my absolute favorite, whether it's a Dairy Queen Blizzard or whether they're upstairs in the freezer. And if I don't have Reese cups, I'll take a uh, Hershey Kiss and dip it in a bowl of peanut butter in the middle of the night if I have a craving for it. Are you saying Reese's cups? Reese cups. Reese cups. I think we're saying the same thing. You're just saying it differently. It's like tomato, tomato, so you're saying Reese's. I don't ever put the S on the M, but it's Reese. 
But you, you, you say Reese. You say whatever. I'll say tomato. Tomato. I you think say I tomato? say tomato. All right. So Reese's. Yes. I think there's an S. I could be wrong, but maybe I'm wrong on that. I don't know. There is an S, but I don't know that you. But you're saying. It. I think we're saying the same thing. The little peanut butter cup things. That's orange. Yes, it's yeah. orange. The I think orange. They're, I think they're Reese's yes, cups. Yes, just yes. To, help, so. to, to be respectful, <laughs> since it's your show, I'm not going to argue. Right? I'm going to be nice. But Linda, I just want to truly say this, I, I and I say this with all sincerity. Thank you, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what your team's a part of. I know behind you there there's an amazing team. Linda can't do it all on her own, right? That's right. That's right. No, and we're all volunteers. We all work together. Has uh, nothing to do with me. Usually, I'm the visionary. Without everybody else to make it happen, we would not be able to do Thanksgiving. We would not be able to do our Night of Hope. We would not be able to send 2,500 pairs of shoes to Haiti every month. Speaking of other people's shoes, we would love to have all the other people's shoes we have your used shoes your old shoes your shoes you just don't wear anymore without a pair of shoes in the country of haiti you can't go to school you can't do anything it's a very rocky terrain and so we absolutely need your shoes but yeah it takes all of us if i was out here by myself i wouldn't be able to do anything so yeah it's a ministry that we work together we volunteer together and the more people that we have the more people we can we can help absolutely well again thank you so much linda i really appreciate it thanks for letting me on i appreciate it absolutely our pleasure so guys and gals kids and campers alike that's it that's all that is our show today now listen let me tell you something how many of you show of hands just real quick wherever you are maybe you're at that stoplight maybe you're folding that laundry maybe you're on that run just take a minute and just take a pause for just a second how many of you right now if i gave you a globe and i said go point to haiti and by the way none of the countries are labeled you could point it out without it being labeled anyone I bet you if I went downtown Medford, which is where I'm at in Oregon, I bet if I went downtown and I said, somebody tell me right now where Haiti is, how far it is from the United States, somebody could do that. I wonder how long it would take me to find somebody that would be able to point out Haiti. Would it take an hour? Would it take two? Would I go 24 hours without somebody being able to point it out? Now listen, maybe it's not Haiti, maybe it's somewhere else. Maybe it's right now in your backyard. Who in your life, who in your life right now needs you? Because let me tell you, I think we just met an amazing woman and has an amazing team behind her. But you heard her say, maybe maybe you didn't catch it. So maybe go back, rewind it a little bit. They do it all as volunteers. And I don't know about you guys, when I start hearing about things that are in other countries, it's hard to get connected with that. It is. It's hard to get my arms around that. It's hard to get my eyes around that. It's hard to get my, my ears around that maybe even. But I'm going to ask you this question as we get out of here. And that's this. Who in your life needs you in it to make that impact? Maybe it's the barista. Maybe it's the guy fixing your car. Maybe it's the guy that you're just interacting with that maybe is having a bad day and just needs that word of encouragement. And if you are truly a Christ follower, Jesus said it best. People will know that you're my disciples by your love. And if you really love him, you really should love others. Just a thought. One more thing. I cannot forget to mention this. Remember, when you walk in other people's shoes, you really do get a different perspective on life. Thank you so much for listening. And stay tuned till next week when we walk in other people's shoes.